everyone. Welcome to today's podcast, Potential Awaits. My name is Sue Wedsworth, your host, coach, and professor that founded Worth Results to help people maximize their potential and achieve what they want out of life. Today, we're going to talk about credit. So put away all your distractions and focus on today's lesson because this podcast class is now in session. So when you think of the word credit, what comes to mind? The positive side of credit, what you can do with it, the possibilities, something to build, or the other side of credit, the debt, the credit cards, the worries and stress over managing that. Some feel credit is like insurance. It's better to have it when you don't need it than need it when you can't get it. Others feel it's just bad not to have too much of it. But neither of it is good nor bad. It shouldn't be revered nor feared. It should, however, be understood. But before we learn about that, we need to understand its roots, its connection to money. Let's start in the beginning. How much were we really taught about money in general when we were young? Not about how to earn money, but how to manage it. Our first experiences with money come from our parents. How they were with money has an impact. I was a career banker, and when my son was 10 years old, he thought money came out of my debit card. Now, that was a huge eye-opener for me, let me tell you. If you were lucky enough to learn how to make a budget or save, then that's amazing. But for the majority of the population, especially the baby boomers and the Gen Xers, we weren't taught a lot about money because the Depression in the 30s made our parents think that money was something that was scarce. Over the years, how we view money, credit, and debt has certainly changed. And even though the Gen Xs and Zetters are teaching children now, any teachings rarely were passed down. So armed with basically nothing, we move now into the world of credit. Credit is just a monetary tool, just like cash. But credit is very different. It's the opportunity to purchase something when cash isn't available. For example, credit cards were created and are best used to bridge the gap between satisfying needs we have now, like putting gas in the car or buying groceries, and when we get paid or have the cash. Credit, in terms of a mortgage or a loan, allows us to purchase something larger now and pay for it over time versus taking the time to save for it and buy it later. My children's experiences with credit were not from their classes in high school or even in post-secondary school. As they didn't major in finance or accounting, as many people don't, they wouldn't know much about money or credit. My youngest took every business course you could take in high school and learned virtually nothing about credit. Now, they were taught by me, and luckily for them, I was in banking for 25 years. As a society, we spend more time on driver education than helping our young people learn about credit and money. In order to get a driver's license, on average, they have to take a course, study a book, take a written test, practice driving, and passing two driver's tests. Even the initial starter license involves hours of study and passing a written test. Now, would you give the keys to your car to someone who's never driven or even read a book about driving a car and say, here you go, go have fun? No. You wouldn't. But we do that all the time with credit cards. Here you go. Here's a pamphlet on the terms and conditions that you'll never read on your credit cards. Have fun. Now, 
Some of you are saying, well, credit cards don't kill anyone and, and getting behind the wheel of a car is dangerous. So are credit cards without proper instruction. And we live in a society where a credit card is needed for just about everything we do. So many people are given a credit card without proper instruction, not on the use, we all know how to use it, but not on the payment and responsibility of the card. When I went with both of my sons to their bank of choice to get their first credit cards, they were just signed up and not instructed. It's like a buyer beware situation. While that philosophy by banks is one of the reasons why the average revolving debt per Canadian household is $163,000. Now, the median household income in Canada last year was $82,436. See a scary difference there? And why many young people are relatively new to credit cards, go over-leveraged, and can't pay back their debt. Looking at those statistics, that was before the recent Bank of Canada rate hikes. Recently, I've been hearing some high schools in Ontario are expanding their curriculum to better prepare students for their financial lives ahead. That's great, but it certainly isn't enough. I'm talking more about credit cards today than lines of credit or mortgages because credit cards do the most damage. Credit cards make it too easy to spend money. Again, they were created as a tool to bridge the gap between when you don't have the cash but need something now. I said need, not want. That is why interest isn't charged at the time of the purchase, only when the balance has not been paid off. But we as a society have used it for much more than that. We're using it for not only larger items, but to generate points and rewards and travel and so on. These are larger purchases or even multiple smaller purchases that cannot be paid off by our next paycheck because we have the access to the credit. And that is where the danger comes in. For larger purchases, we should be matching the purchase with the credit facility. So larger purchases should be loans or lines of credit as they have lower interest rates. But again, it's too easy to just tap a purchase and then another and then another. And before you know it, we have a balance on our credit card that we can't afford to pay off. Of course, that type of usage is dependent on the limits of the credit cards. As first-time credit card users, we're given lower limits, $500 or $1,000, with use and good repayment. We're asked by banks and credit card companies if we want to increase our limits. That's one change that actually has been for the better. We need to give permission to increase our limits. Just over a decade ago, we're given an increased limit in our credit cards automatically, and the banks did it like we won a lottery. They sent the message in our monthly statement, congratulations, your credit limit is now $10,000. But I don't want a $10,000 limit. Well, how do I lower that now? That's okay. You know, I won't need it. And then, you know, months or years later, some use it. It has been too easy. Now, we also have too many options for credit cards. There's rewards, low rate, dividend, free groceries, discounts off purchases, movies, and so on. Banks have done an excellent job marketing their products, unfortunately, to our detriment. But now we need to give permission 
or at least click yes if we want a limit increase when offered. But, you know, clicking yes, that's still too easy. So why do some people add more credit to themselves knowing the potential risks? Because some believe the more credit they have, the better the credit rating they will have. Some believe the more credit they have, the more of an emergency net they have. Well, both are somewhat correct. But the almighty credit score, that's what's causing people to do things they know nothing about because of the advice they are given. And that brings me to a very important topic, our credit scoring system. So I'm here to debunk the mystery out of your credit score. This is the thing you can't learn about from any course or really any book, like how to manage money or even manage debt. You can only learn about it if someone like a banker who knows the system educates you or you'll learn by trial and error. Money is too important for us to learn about things trial and error. So... First of all, the credit rating and credit bureau system in Canada is done by basically two major companies, Equifax and TransUnion. Equifax is the most popular credit scoring and credit history company for almost every financial institution in Canada. So how does it all work? There are a lot of misnomers and myths about credit reports and your credit score. Most people can learn about it, as I said, from a bank, but again, that's not what they're in business for. You can go direct to Equifax or TransUnion and pay for information. But again, that's not what they're there for either. And unless you know how to read your credit report, it's really not going to be helpful. Second, every time you engage in a credit activity, that activity is recorded by the financial institution or the company you engage with. And if they have a contract to report that activity with Equifax, that information is shared with them on a credit report and your credit history is started. Within that history and report, all of the information you provide to the creditor will be recorded with them and with Equifax. Your name, your address, your social insurance number, marital status, employer, how long at each, and every time you have any information change in that regard, change in name, marital status, address, employer, etc., on an application for new credit, that information will get updated with them too. All of that information starts to paint a picture of the type of credit risk you are. In addition to any credit that you've been given by creditors, that will also be listed there. Not only that, but also what you pay them, what the balance is, what the limit is, when it was opened, how timely are your payments, that'll all be listed. With that information comes a rating. R1 to R9 for revolving debt, like credit cards and line of credits. I1 to I9 for loans and term debts where payments are paid off and the balance is reduced with each payment provided. If you pay on time, you get a 1 rating. If you miss the payment by 30 days, it moves to 2, 60 days, 3, and so on. After more time between payments, you move the number up. A nine means the company has written off your debt, and a nine is not good. Now, if you pay after a month or two late, the rating restarts itself, but your history of lateness is recorded. From all that, an overall credit score is generated. The scores range from 300 to 900. Now, in my banking career, I've never seen a 300, and I've never seen a 900. 
The lowest I've ever seen has been in the 500s, and the highest is in the high 880s. That score is a measurement of your risk profile and whether you are a good risk to be lent credit. The higher the score, the better risk you are. Those in the 500s are usually connected with a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Those with scores in 700 or higher are good credit risks. Now, not everything is shared with Equifax, and not everything is reportable on Equifax. And your credit report, that is one of the myths. It has to be related to credit or debt, and the company has to pay to connect that information with Equifax. So any inquiry that you make to a bank, a broker, a landlord, a credit card company, a cell phone contract, they're all connected to Equifax, and as such, that inquiry will be registered with them. But conventional mortgages and even some secured lines of credit are not shown on your credit report, but the inquiries are. Many people feel that if they pay their mortgage on time, that will influence their credit score. Sorry, I hate to tell you, it doesn't as mortgages are not listed on credit reports. However, banks will know if you're paying them on time, so that still has to be done. Others feel like bills, you know, hydro or water or even property taxes will show on credit reports. They won't because no credit has been given. Cell phones, unless you have no plan or bought your phone outright, if you have a plan with your cell phone, guess what? You've been given a loan for the cell phone, which you're paying back monthly, and that is also listed on your credit report. Now, by law, you must provide permission for those creditors to run a credit bureau report. Back in the day, all the banks needed was a reason to order or make an inquiry. Nowadays, however, with regulations, there has to be a business reason to run it along with your consent. Some creditors get that by a signature on an application, so understand the permission you are providing. That brings me to another myth. Having someone, especially myself, inquire on my own credit report will damage my credit rating. No, that's not true. First of all, anyone can ask for their own score with no damage to their own credit score. You are not a creditor, and as such, your inquiry does nothing. It will damage your credit ratings if you are wanting to obtain credit. What do I mean by that? If you have no intention of applying for credit now or in the next six months, the score change will do relatively nothing. One inquiry will not change your score. However, more than one, and several, in fact, within a six-month period, will drop your credit score significantly, usually equivalent to 5 to 10 point drop per inquiry. Now, why do multiple inquiries drop your score? Because the score is based on risk profiles. Those that have previously frauded the bank have certain markers or characteristics in their credit history. For example, a very famous fraud that we learned about in the bank was Someone went around to several banks to finance a home purchase. They went to Royal, then to BMO, and then to TD, and so on. All doing inquiries on the credit, as banks should, and all eventually providing this person with a mortgage on the same property. 
Now, the lawyer was also in on it too, but the frauder took the money from each bank given for the home purchase that, by the way, didn't exist, and paid a few months on the mortgage while he was, I'm sure, someplace warm and sunny. After the payment stopped, all three banks went to demand and take over the collateral that they had on the property. That's when they realized not only did multiple banks lend this person money on the same property, but the property didn't even exist at all. So, multiple inquiries now indicate a fraud-like tenancy, and as such, those that shop around are considered a risk not worth taking. Lastly, how to improve your score is filled with a lot of myths. Getting more credit or having hardly credit at all does not do that. First, you need to have access on the credit you have. You need to have room between the balance and your limits. And of course, you need to pay your credit on time. The fastest way to affect your credit score is to have more availability on the existing credit. The more availability, the better your score. Why? Because you have emergency room if something goes wrong. That doesn't mean you go out and get more credit. Again, if you do that, you get an inquiry with that new credit. So that's not good. It's all about utilization. The higher percentage of utilization, the lower your credit score. If you have less utilization, the better your credit score. So you want to pay down the credit you have. The length of time with each creditor is also important to your score. Many people in managing debt will pay off credit cards and then cancel them. Now, don't be concerned about how that impacts your credit score. You are managing your debt and you need to do that. But if you are concerned, do that to newer credit. The longer the relationship with creditors, the better your score. Many of you look at the rewards you get on the cards or which one you're using to determine factors for cancellation. Look at certain factors like interest rate, length of time with the creditor, and the limit before deciding. So to summarize, don't be so concerned about the credit score that you make decisions based on that. Credit cards, yes, they help build new credit scores, but after that, it's what you do with them is more important than getting new ones. We only need two credit cards really in today's society, one for everyday needs and the other for anyone that does online purchases. And the reason is online purchases come with their own set of risks. So you want a separate low limit credit card for that. If you have any balances, especially if you're trying to get them paid down, ask the bank to convert your card to a lower interest credit card. Again, don't be concerned about annual fees because you'll be better with the lower interest rate than that annual fee. There are a few more ways to improve and manage your score and debt, and I'll likely do a part two sometime in the future. But if you have any specific questions, reach out to me at worthresults.com and I will be happy to discuss how best to improve your score based on your own situation. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I know there are a lot of choices out there, and I'm so happy you spent your time with me today. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a lesson. If you want to talk about your own story or have specific questions to be answered next time, head over to worthresults.com and connect with me. I would love to hear from you. See you next time.